Let's pray before we look at God's word together. God, we love you and we thank you for your great grace that you've shown to us. God, we thank you that you have given us a call to follow you, to follow hard after you. God, today I pray for these graduates as they transition to a new stage of life. God, I pray that they would continue to follow hard after you. God, I pray for us today who are not graduating as well, God, that you would help us to hear from your word a reminder of the truth that you are God and you are good and that this faith that we believe in, this faith that we've rest our hope in, this faith that we've rest our life in is true and it matters. God, challenge us today. God, change us today. And God, make us more and more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Graduates, you've come to an exciting moment. You've come to an exciting time in your life when you change chapters and you go to the next step of God's plan for you. So we've seen in the videos this morning and then the pictures, we've seen the steps of the plan that you've been on and that God has been working in your life and changing you and molding you into the person you are today. Today, my encouragement to you and my encouragement to all of us in this room is are we holding on to truth? Are we holding on to faith? Is faith something that defines who we are and changes everything in our life? Because graduates, just being honest with you, the statistics do not look good for holding on to faith. Barner Group and other research groups have said within the next year that most high school seniors that graduate from Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, gospel-loving churches that nine out of 10 of them will have walked away from their faith. The nine out of 10 of them will have been done and will have checked out the box and be done with God. It's important that you cling to these things that have been taught here. It's important that you cling to this truth of who you know God is. And it's important that you run your race and live your life in a way that is defined by that. Your first week in college is gonna define a lot about who you are. The decisions you make in your first week or two weeks of college about who you're going to be and who you're going to let define you are important. And my encouragement to you today is to let truth, let faith be something that impacts your life and continues to change your life. Because the temptation with church and the temptation for each one of us for growing up in church or sitting in a church environment is that we allow faith to be something that we think happens by osmosis. Because mom and dad believe something, because the church around me believes something, because there are Christians in my life, therefore I must be a Christian. And our reminder to each one of us today is, are we running the race? Are we living the Christian life? Are we following after Jesus? Is this relationship with Jesus we claim to have something that's real in our life? Because faith, because following Jesus is a lot less about a historical transaction that happened in the past. And a lot more about, are you following God now? Have you seen God at work in your life? Has God changed you? Student ministry, we've been walking through stories in the Old Testament, looking at how people encountered God. And when they encountered God, they changed. Are we following hard after Jesus? Are we running the race so that we will receive a well done at the end. This morning we're going to Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. 
And as you're turning in your Bibles to that text, Hebrews 12 is an interesting text because it sets up this picture. I don't know if you've ever watched the Olympics or a big Olympic fan. I know Liz is a bigger Olympic fan than me. But as you go to the Olympics and think about the Olympics and you think about going into an arena to watch runners run, you have the runners that are on the, on the track racing and trying to win the prize. You have people in the stands that are cheering them on. And you have a goal at the end. And that's really the context and that's really the picture where we find Paul speaking to us in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that was set out for us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the text begins with the word, therefore. I had a pastor growing up that used to always say that when you saw the word, therefore, you needed to look back and see what it's there for. And we see this initial picture there that we're surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses. So if you can imagine our analogy of walking into the stadium, as we're running this race, as we're trying to follow Jesus, we have people that are cheering us on in the stands. So we need to first, if we're going to follow hard after Jesus and run to the prize, we need to listen to those who cheer you on. Listen to those who cheer you on. The therefore is therefore because it's pointing back to Hebrews chapter 11, which is one of the, probably the most popular passages in the book of Hebrews that shows us examples of faith. It points us back and it reminds us of who people are that have followed hard after Jesus and followed hard after God and how God has worked powerfully in their hearts and their lives. If you would flip back to Hebrews 11, Starting in verse 8, it says this, By faith, Abraham, he obeyed when he was called out of a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. But by faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that its foundations, whose designer and builder was God. We see going by faith, verse 11, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she is considered him faithful who had promised. Verse 12, Therefore one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as so many of the stars in the heaven, as many as innumerable as the grains of the sand by the seashore. Our first example we see is Abraham. Abraham was told by God to go and to leave his home and to leave his family and to leave everything that had defined who he was. And we're thinking, this is a world without Skype. This is a world without Facebook. This is a world without social media. This is a world without cell phones. Abraham's walking away and leaving behind everything he knew because he trusted in the promises of God. And it's Abraham and Sarah 
but came to an age where they couldn't bear children, they believed by faith that God was going to be faithful to them. Verse 17, you see another picture of Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who he received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham, this man of faith, laid his only son down on the altar to give him to God as a sacrifice because he trusted in God's promises. He trusted in God's faithfulness. And as we sit here and we run the Christian race, we run the life, we think of Abraham sitting in the stands, reminding us of the truth that God is faithful to his promises. What God tells us to do sometimes doesn't seem to make sense. But God was faithful to his promises. Another example we see is the example of Moses. In verse 24, it says this, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures in Egypt, for he was looking for his reward. Moses reminds us that God's priorities, God's ways are different than the world's ways. Graduates and everyone in this room, that's a reminder to us that we need to cling to the eternal. We need to cling to what matters because this world is fading away. We tend to get lost in the fact of this world and the world around us and what matters in this world's priorities. But Moses gave that up to follow God. And we see all these pictures of positive things that happen to people. In verse 32, we see the unnamed people. It says this, And what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in, of skins, in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and the caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for, my, for us. Apart from that, they should not be made perfect. We see in this picture of these people, these unnamed people who followed Jesus, we see two different results. We see people who got to do really neat things. They got to see dead people raised to life. They got to see God bring fire down. They got to see God do amazing and great things because of their faith. But then there's another list, the list that if we're honest, we probably don't want to be a part of, those who were tortured and sawn in two and all these things for their faith. When we look at this text and we see this example of faith, we're reminded that 
Our life is focused on a heavenly prize. Our goal is heaven. This life is not our home. So it doesn't really matter what happens to us. If our story is something that would be in the highlight book of awesome things that happen to Christians, or if our story would be found in Fox's book of the martyrs, we see that God was glorified through their lives. We see that their faith is a faith that we can look to as an example. And so we see with these men and women of faith, along with other men and women of faith, we can think of people who have passed away. We think of people who have stood for their faith in Christ. The Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, and the saints that have poured into our lives stand in the stadium. They stand in the stands, and they remind us of this as we run to follow Jesus. It's worth it. I may have given my life. I may have been sawed in half. But the greatness of God, this prize of life with Jesus forever was worth it. This gospel in which you're staking your life is true. Your faithfulness will be rewarded. Those in the stands that cheer us on remind us that this is true. That this matters. That our life, our Christianity, our faith is not a game. Something that matters in eternity. So our first group of people we see are the, those that cheer us on in the stand. The verse continues, second part of verse 12. Let us lay aside every weight which clings so closely. So first we listen to those who cheer us on. Second, we leave behind things that hold you back. We leave behind things that hold you back. If you were to go running, which I obviously don't do very much, um, if you were to go running and go on a race, you would, you would dress and you would prepare for that. Chances are you wouldn't wear your nicest Sunday suit or you wouldn't wear your dress, you would prepare to run. And when we think about our lives and running hard after Jesus, there are things that often hold us back from doing that. Maybe that's a misplaced priority. Maybe that's we've lost sight of the fact that eternity is the goal and Jesus is the prize. And we let things that define success in this world be first and foremost in our minds and our hearts. Maybe it's our past sins and struggles. Maybe we're allowing that voice in our head to say, you're not good enough. Grace is not good enough for you. The past sins that you've dealt with, those things that you've struggled with, those things that if we were honest tonight and we, and we played all of our sins up on the screen, everybody would leave. Those things that keep coming back in your mind that are defining who you are where you're not allowing God's grace through the Holy Spirit and through change to remind you of the gospel, that Jesus died for those things. Or maybe our addictions, those things that we keep falling into, those things that keep hold us back. Or peer pressure. Maybe it's the crowd. Everybody says I'm supposed to be something or do something, and that's supposed to be my focus. The writer of Hebrews calls us to leave those things behind. We can leave those things behind because 
We're going to see where our, where our focus is to be. But first, Paul encourages us, the last part of verse 1, to run with endurance the race that is set before us. So leads us to our third point. We persevere because the race is long and difficult. We persevere because the race is long and difficult. Following Jesus is something that's not easy. We're called to live in this world, but not live of this world. We're called to be a part of God's plan to change the world. We're called to keep our minds and our hearts focused on eternity. And it's hard. And we want to quit sometimes. We want to give in sometimes. Paul calls us, or the writer of Hebrews, who some think is Paul, calls us to persevere because the race is long and difficult. Which leads to where our focus should be. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and seating at the right hand of the throne of God. We're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the one that we keep our focus on. Because when the race is hard, we're reminded of the cross. We're reminded of what Jesus did for us on our behalf. When we want to cling to past sins, when we want to let the future define who we are, we look to the cross and we're reminded of those words from the cross that changed everything for us. To tell us, die, it is finished. The past is in the past. God now defines your future because of Jesus and because of what he did for you on the cross. So often, we tend to look to the left and the right in the race instead of looking to the prize. Because I remind our students of this some, that it's easy for us to find someone that's worse than us. And when we find someone that's worse than us, it's easy to look at him or her and be like, I must be doing great in this Christian life because my life doesn't look like theirs. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we fix our eyes on the prize, we remember that we're running towards the goal of Christ. And as we have others alongside us, we encourage them and bring them along. But we're not focused on them. We're focused on Jesus, who's our prize. There's a quote I read this week in my studies, and it says this. We're to run this race with no eyes for anyone except Jesus. Hear that again. With no eyes for anyone except Jesus. It is toward him we run. And we must have no divided attention. So when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we see three different things about Christ. First, we see that Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. Do you want to look at someone who ran the Christian life well? Do you want to look at the person who never sinned, never messed up, never made a mistake? Look at Jesus. Jesus stands as our example. He successfully lived the Christian life with his focus on the right priorities. He successfully followed Jesus. He stands as our example. 
But so often, if Jesus just remains our example, we can feel defeated. Because guess what? None of us in this room is perfect. None of us in this room can perfectly follow Jesus. None of us in this room can perfectly live the Christian life. So if we continue to focus on following Jesus without Jesus, which I think a lot of us have a tendency to do, I'm going to follow after Jesus, which means I'm going to be good. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to not do certain things. And therefore, I'm going to be following Jesus because my life is defined by a list of don'ts. Following Jesus is the Holy Spirit working in us. The Holy Spirit changing us. The Holy Spirit living the Christian life through us. Which leads us to point number two. Jesus is our example first and foremost. But second, Jesus is your sufficiency. Jesus is your sufficiency. Jesus ran the race in our place. Jesus lived the life we couldn't live. And because of his death on the cross on our behalf, there's what Martin Luther called the great exchange. I take all my brokenness, I take all my sin, I take all my mess, I take all my failures to follow God, and I lay it at the cross. And Jesus gives me his righteousness. Jesus gives me his perfection. Jesus changes me from the inside out. And as the Holy Spirit continues to work in me and work through me and change me, I begin to look more and more like Jesus. Not because I'm checking my boxes, but because I'm saying each and every day, God, I surrender to you. God, I give you my life. God, work in me and through me today. Because surrendering to follow Christ is not something you did one time back in history. It's something we do each and every day. So we see that Jesus is our sufficiency, which leads to the third picture of Jesus. Jesus is your prize. Jesus is your prize. Jesus lives and reigns in heaven as our king and our prize. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see one of the pictures of heaven. And what's so fascinating to me about this beginning picture of heaven is the text begins in the year King Uzziah died. And so there is turmoil in the land. They don't know what's going to go on. There's a midst of uncertainty And the moment Isaiah looks around, and the moment Isaiah sees that the world is messed up, God directs his attention up. And guess what he sees? He sees a king on a throne who's high and lifted up. And no matter what may be crumbling around you, no matter what may be going on in your life, no matter what struggles you may be facing, there's a king on a throne. And he's seated on a throne right now being worshipped by angels for all of eternity. And when we think about heaven, when we think about the Christian life, when we think about following after Jesus, the goal of heaven is not stuff. Like we're going to get to heaven and we're going to have this awesome house, this awesome mansion and streets of gold. And we're going to have all these things. The goal of heaven, the prize of heaven is Jesus. And he's the one that we've spent our lives following. And that moment when we see him face to face, that moment when we run to him, 
And we put our arms around him and we praise him and we can thank him and look him in the eye and thank him for the great grace that he's shown us. That he changed our story, that he changed our lives, that he changed everything. That moment, Jesus is our prize. So that's why we run. That's why we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who went to the cross for us, who changed our story, who changed our direction, who redefined our lives. That's why we do that. Because the prize is worth it. This race is real. The gospel is true. And the gospel changes everything. Let us live like that. Let us live for that well done, good and faithful servant. Your life looked really messed up in the eyes of the world, but you knew what the prize was. You knew what the value was, and you gave everything for it. Jesus is a God who's worth giving everything for. Are we giving everything for him? Are we following hard after him because we see that though the race is long and hard we run the race by fixing our eyes on Jesus our example our sufficiency and our prize though the race is long and hard we run the race by fixing our eyes on Jesus our example our sufficiency and our prize been given this beautiful picture of a race and of a runner. What does that look like in our lives? How does this change us this week? Your applications. First, allow the examples of faith to remind you the truth of God's faithfulness as you run the race. Allow the examples of faith to remind you the truth of God's faithfulness as you run the race. It's one of the reasons we study God's word. Because God's word reminds us that the God who is faithful to every person in this book will be faithful to us. We also think about testimonies. We think about stories of people in our congregation, in our lives, in our family. So we hear the stories of God's work in other people's lives. It reminds us of God's faithfulness. Second, we confess and repent of the things that are holding us back from running the race well. Confess and repent of the things that are holding you back from running the race well. In Luke 15, we see one of Jesus' most famous parables. And it's a story that many of you have probably heard many times. It's the story of the prodigal son. And The prodigal son ran away from his father, who represents God, and lived a life of sin and separation. And I want to look at verse 20 and look at the picture of him coming home. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I can imagine the moment here being a long way off and knowing you failed, knowing you've messed up and seeing the father from a distance. And wondering what the father's going to do. Is the father going to be like, I'm sorry you've gone too far. You've messed up too hard. 
you've run too far. I'm no longer going to accept you. But we see this. He felt compassion. And he ran to him and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they begin to celebrate. The first son we see is the prodigal son, the one who ran away, the one who did things that we would consider bad and ran away from God. And when he came back, the father accepts him with loving arms. That's some of us in this room. We've run. That's our story. We've run from God. And now, and there was a point in our life where we came back to him and he changed our story. But what's interesting about this text is there's a second son that we don't usually talk about. And as the party starts and they begin to celebrate, verse 24, now his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. At which point the brother should have been like, praise God, my brother has come home. Let's go in the party and celebrate. But verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. So the father leaves the party and begs him to come in. But he answers his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, you devoured your property, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. All that's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and he was now alive. He was lost and he's found. The younger son, though he lived in the father's house, though he grew up in church, though he did the right things, though he tried to perfectly follow God, missed grace. Trying to earn the Father's love. Trying to be the good Christian. Missed the gospel. The beauty of confessing and repenting of the things that hold you back is there's room at the cross for all. There's room at the cross for those who run in the ways of the world. There's room at the cross for those who hide in the midst of religious ritual apart from God. There's room at the cross for you. So we confess and we repent of the things that hold us back. And last, we run faithfully towards Jesus, our prize. We run faithfully towards Jesus, our prize. And I know right now you want to put up your notes and go eat, but hang on just a second. I want you to hear this last point. It says this, the Christian life is simply this. We run to Jesus for salvation We continue to run hard after Jesus until that day when we run into his everlasting arms. We run to Jesus for salvation. We continue to run hard after Jesus through our whole lives. And then we run into his everlasting arms. That's this race. That's what God has called us to. That's what Jesus has rescued us for. 
It's amazing. And my challenge to you graduates and my challenge to all of us in this room are, how are we running? Are our eyes focused on the prize? Are we leaving behind what used to define us? And are we embracing the gospel that changes everything? I'm going to pray for us, but before I do, um, Brother Chris is going to be down at the front, and it's going to be an opportunity for you to respond to grace. Maybe as we looked at the story from Luke 15 of the prodigal son, you realize that you have run from God, and you need to come home, whether that's running to religion or running in rebellion. Or maybe today you just want somebody to pray for you. You've gotten off track. You've forgotten the race. You've forgotten the prize. You've forgotten that it's worth it and that eternity matters. Or maybe you want to come and join this church and become a member of this fellowship. Because as we run this race, we have people that come alongside us to encourage us and to remind us that this is the prize. Jesus is the prize and it's worth it. Each and every day. Because the world continues to remind us that that shouldn't be our priority. I'm going to pray for us and Brother Chris will meet you at the front. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you have saved us and rescued us and given us an opportunity to lead this Christian life and follow after you. God, I pray today if there are people in this room who don't know you, God, that they would come to a point today that they would realize their need for grace. Or that's not knowing you through just trying to do things to please you apart from a relationship with you. Or whether it's running from you. And God, today I pray that you would strengthen each one of us. That you would keep our eyes and our hearts set on the prize that is you. And God, we pray for our graduates as they leave from us to go to this next step of their journey. God, that you would continue to remind them of the importance of truth. That the gospel matters. And the foundation that was laid in this place by their parents by this church, would be the foundation that they stand on until that moment when they see you face to face. God, we love you and pray that you would work in this time through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.